Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Tuesday, March 8th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes. Hoynes, uh, looks like it's going to be a, a sort of a ritual every Tuesday from here on until we, we get some sort of uh, agreement. Uh, the, the owners put a deadline on a Tuesday and say, we'll cancel another uh, week of games if we don't come to an agreement. Uh, today's, today's deadline comes with a court, uh, sort of a twist. Uh, they're sort of dangling the carrot that if, if they come to an agreement today, they can still somehow play 162 games. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think that was the plan all along, Joe, if they could get a deal done early enough. You know, I thought Manfred, you know, canceling uh, the first six games of the season was kind of a, uh, you know, kind of unnecessary or just, you know, just kind of working from the bully pulpit. And uh, hopefully they get a deal done and they can, you know, move the start of the season back, but then, you know, maybe play some double headers or, or, you know, just extend the season a bit and, and get 162 in. Yeah, that would, that would be ideal. Uh, and that way, you know, players wouldn't miss uh, paychecks for, for games missed. And, and I think that would be a win for, for everybody uh, except for fans who, you know, wanted to see those games in, in early April or had, uh, you know, special occasions or anything like that planned around those games. Uh, just looking at, you know, just public sentiment right now, the, the way things feel right now. Uh, I received some data from uh, a company called uh, Morning Consult, and they did a, a survey of self-identified Major League Baseball fans. And uh, according to their survey, uh, 45% of those surveyed uh, say that the failure to reach an agreement, uh, the blame lies with the with ownership. 21% blame the, the players and 34% uh, said they don't know or don't have an opinion. So uh, just uh, use, take that for what it's worth, but using that as sort of a, an indicator there, uh, you know, if, if the public sentiment right now is against ownership, uh, I, I think uh, Manford might need to, to do something to, to sort of, you know, work on the image. Yeah, I think it, it's always, you know, people always side with the players in this, in this instance, Joe. I think in, in other work stoppages, they, they've sided with the players, uh, you know, and, you know, of course, the, uh, the commissioner is a, the point guy for the owners. He's going to catch the heat. Um, and, uh, you know, Manfred is, is, is the guy. That's his job. That's what he's getting paid for. 
Bud Selig, it, you know, felt the same kind of heat when he was a commissioner. Um, but, you know, the thing that people don't realize, and the players agreed to this. The players agreed to the terms that they're fighting against right now. If they had a problem with it, they should have agreed, you know, they should have protested two, two or three basic agreements ago. And, uh, you know, they've allowed themselves to be outfoxed, outflanked by the owners, and uh, it's part of negotiations. Well, it's, it's funny you talk about Manfred. Uh, that same survey indicated that up to 63% of fans uh, said that Manfred himself is very or somewhat responsible uh, for the league and players' inability to agree to a deal. So uh, that right there, maybe, you know, we, we talked about how when Manfred arrived at the at the talks uh, last week and how, how that sort of changed the tenor of things. Uh, maybe just his presence or his, his personality is, is something that's, you know, sort of derailing these talks. Yeah. There, there's no doubt about that. He's, he's a little abrasive, you know, he is not, uh, <laughs> he, he's not a soft and cuddly guy. I don't think, but you know, he's doing his job and he's good at his job, you know, and I think when you're the commissioner, you're the lightning rod. I mean, you know, the, who, the, the lead negotiators for the players and, and the owners, you know, who knows those guys, you know, they're in the shadows. Those are the guys that, you know, are doing the hard work. But when, when the commissioner is the guy that's got to talk and uh, he's got to get up there in front of the mic and, uh, you know, present the case. And, and I do think, uh, you know, it was almost unnecessary for them to lock the players out a minute after the old agreement expired. I think, you know, there's four months here. They were afraid that the, players were going to declare a strike once the season started. But I mean, you still had four or five months of, you know, a dead, dead time to get a deal done. Well, first of all, uh, you know, Darth Vader is a little bit abrasive. Rob Manfred is like, uh, you know, a thousand Brillo pads. This is, uh, <laughs> it, that's totally different. Uh, and, and you're right. Locking the players out was, uh, it was a, a bullying tactic. And, you know, if that was the case, they wouldn't have waited 45 days to make their first, uh, the, the league wouldn't have made, made their first attempt or offer at some sort of, uh, you know, uh, negotiation uh, for, for 45 days. I think uh, you're right that that was, uh, you know, unnecessary. Uh, as, as far as, uh, you know, just going back to that survey, one of the points that was, that's been argued back and forth uh, is this expansion of postseason. And I think, uh, some of the things I've been reading right now that the, the, the expansion is going to go to, to 12 next year uh, with, you know, the owners had wanted a 14 uh, team playoff field. Uh, it's funny to, to take the survey of, of fans, more than half of the fans surveyed uh, support keeping the number of playoff teams at 10, 47% uh, uh, do support expanding to 12 teams, 38 support, 38% uh, support expanding to 14 teams. And up to 36% of the, the fan surveyed uh, ex, uh, support expanding up to 16 teams, which would be more than half of the league. So, uh, you know, the fan support for uh, just this one aspect of the negotiation is sort of, uh, it, it sort of varies. Yeah, it's kind of all over the board. I think, you know, they've gone back and forth between 12 and 14. Um, and now it, it seems like they've settled on 12 teams. I, I'm all for expanding the, the postseason, Joe. Uh, you know, I think, you know, we, we, you know, the thing, maybe 14 is too much. You know, I, I heard somebody say maybe if they expand to 32 teams in, in the next, you know, 
five five years or so. Maybe you, you could talk about going to 14 teams then. But right now, uh, 12 teams seems like a, a fair a fair a fair deal. You don't want to, you know. I, I think some teams, you know, some people have a problem if you have 14 teams. I think uh, the research shows that some some teams with losing records would get in there would would qualify. Mm-hmm. And you know, based on the last 10 or 15 years of you know finish you know, of of the standings of major league standings. Uh, I mean, you know, in, in Cleveland's case, uh, a couple of those, you know, 90 win seasons where they didn't get in would would would, would have probably qualified. You know, I, I think a, a team with 90 wins should qualify. That that should be, you know, uh, something that would be taken care of, I think, by a 14 team playoff field. But uh, you never know. Uh, other aspects of the negotiation that we've, we've heard or, or have, you know, just rumored right now. Uh, the, the, the pitch clock uh, situation where Major League Baseball wanted to sort of at the last minute insert these, uh, these pace of play changes uh, like the pitch clock uh, into the negotiation. I, I guess that's not going to be a part of this collective bargaining agreement. Uh, it could possibly wait until the next one. Uh, it was, was one of the, the stories that I read that uh, the, the owners are going to try and, and just table that uh, portion of the negotiation until another time. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm getting like varying signals on that. I thought if if the uh, if you know if the the owners had agreed to uh, you know uh, push the uh, the the CBT the you know the competitive balance tax to two two thousand twenty eight two two million two two hundred twenty eight million. million. Yeah, two hundred twenty eight million from two twenty. You know, and uh, you know, with the you know at the end, you know, increasing to two thirty eight, you know, uh, two hundred thirty eight million at the end of the uh, the end of the contract. Uh, if they did that, and uh, but there was a carrot there that you know they could introduce those those uh, changes that you talked about. But you know, I thought I thought that was just kind of window dressing, you know, Joe. But I thought that was kind of you 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 know you introduce that so late in the in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, let's focus on the on the key issues: this competitive balance tax, the uh, you know the uh, um, the the bonus pool, and you know the minimum salary. Get those out of the way, and, and then you know then you probably got a deal. I, I think this is just you know larger bases, uh, uh, you know the uh, the larger bases, the uh, pitch clock. You know that, that's all just you know. I think that's just window dressing. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I had read that the, the competitive balance tax, uh, the, the luxury tax, um, that that is the key issue. It's the one that's holding everything up. If that sort of aspect of the negotiation gets taken care of, everything else falls into place right away and you've got a, a deal quickly. Uh, so my question is, why aren't they focusing specifically and strictly on that one issue? get that done and and we could be playing games here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, exactly, Joe. And and there obviously is there's some disagreement on that amongst the owners. You know, we mm-hmm. saw four owners vote against the last proposal to increase it. Uh, you know, the Angels, the Tigers, the Diamondbacks, and uh, there was some, there was one other team, you know, that 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 had uh, you know, voted against that, but you know, they were outvoted by the majority and now it's going from 220 to 228. You know the the uh, and the players are you know they want to start at two hundred thirty eight million 
2022, all the way up to 263, 2 million, 200 million and six, 200, whatever that is, 263 <laughs> in the well, last year of the deal. I, I mean, why not just, you know, start it at 235 and then keep it there for two or three seasons and then maybe just have a small increase before that? You accomplish essentially the same thing in, in terms of total money. Yeah, I mean, there's ways around this, Joe. They, mm -hmm. I mean, these guys are pretty smart guys, so I think they can reach a deal on this. But, you know, it, it just seems like, you know, there's a little division among the owners right now. And it, it floors me that the Angels are on that because <laughs> the Angels have Mike Trout and, and, uh, and Shoji <laughs> Otani and, and who's the third baseman? Uh, uh, you know, they, they, they're paying huge money to three guys, and, and they're against the, the – you know, the, uh, the luxury tax going on. Yeah. Carlos Rodon is the, yeah. Our, uh, so Rendon, 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 Anthony Rendon. I'm sorry. Um, Anthony Rendon's the third baseman. Uh, and, and their owner has more money than God that Moreno. Yeah. He's, and what he's, is he, what's he, how did yeah. he get into this? Thing? Well, the, the, the owners didn't become owners by spending money, I guess. Uh, yeah, that's, it, that's, that's their own money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Uh, so, so there we are, we're, we're sort of at this situation right now where the, these Tuesday negotiations are going to happen. And then, you know, we'll wait and see what happens, uh, whether or not we're close to an agreement, if they extend that deadline, or if they announce at, at the end of tonight that they're canceling another week of games, uh, that could be, you know, devastating for, for baseball. If we're, if we're down to, you know, 120 some game season, you know, in a couple of weeks here, this is, it, it, it becomes, you know, why even bother playing it? Yeah. You're, you're going to repeat the 60 game sprint, you know, without, mm -hmm. without COVID. So, right. uh, you know, it's crazy. It's, uh, you know, and, and they're, they're so close on all these things, Joe, that, you know, you, you're really dragging your feet if you don't reach a deal within the next few days. I mean, there's no excuse. I think people are getting upset. And I think, uh, you know, I, I talked to a Tyler Freeman uh, yesterday, uh, the Guardians' number one prospect. You know, he's first year on the 40, man, and he's locked out. You know, this is a kid that needs to rehab his shoulder, you know, he, and he's not, you know, really, if he was in camp, he could be rehabbing every day. His rehab is limited to about twice a week now. He's going to come to camp, uh, you know, a week or two behind at least. I think if he could have stayed in camp, you know, he was in there when the, the lockout was declared. So if he had, could have stayed in camp, you know, from December through right now, he'd probably be ready to play. So, you know, it's, 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 it really affects, you know, the, obviously the lockout is one of the reasons it is, you know, the players are fighting so hard is to protect players like Freeman, mm -hmm. younger guys to get more money in their hands, but, you know, he's getting hurt by it as well. Well, and also, uh, you know, Freeman's in a, a particularly strange situation, having just been added to the 40 man. Uh, it's like he's he and, and, and the other young players that were added to the to the 40 man roster sort of don't have a voice right now that it's it's there. It's being it, they're watching what's going on and can't really influence, even though these these changes are being done sort of for their benefit down, yeah. down in, in the long run. And, and they've got to understand that. But you know, they don't have a seat at the table when it comes to deciding any of these, any, any of these things, it's all being done by more veteran players. Uh, and, and sometimes those veteran players, you know, speak for uh, the, the Mike Trouts and the, the, uh, the Max Scherzer's, the guys who have the $40 million contracts and, and, you know, 
those are the guys who can afford to, to miss a few game checks. Yeah, and, and young guys like uh, Freeman and Rocio and, and Tanya, you know, they added, what, 11 guys to the 40-man to the Cleveland did. All those guys are missing a chance to compete. Mm-hmm. Missing a chance for the big league, the big league club, big league coaching staff to to see him, and and you know that a couple of these guys are going to win jobs somewhere mm-hmm. on that twenty six man roster, Joe. And and right now, you know the let the less time you know they have to look at them, uh, the coaching staff has to look at them. The more likely they're going to start the year in the minors, and you know maybe they give that job to you know some free agent, uh, you know non roster guy. Yeah. What did Freeman say about, you know, his chances to compete and where, where he thought he would be most competitive for this team? He said, you know, he's, he's about one to two weeks behind and that, but he's still going to camp with the attitude, you know, that like he always has that he could, he can, he's going to camp to win a job. Now he might have to, you know, he realizes he might have to start the season in the minors, but it doesn't, it's not going to stop him from trying to, you know, work his way up and, 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 and make it to the big leagues this year. Is, is Freeman's focus right now at a particular position or is it just uh, to, to sort of, you know, be the most attractive prospect he can be? Yeah, I think he can, yeah, just to, to play the best baseball he can. You know, he knows, obviously, this team is loaded with at his position at the middle infield. I think he'll, you know, be, he still considers himself a shortstop, but uh, he can play second short or he's played a little third as well. Well, that's good. At least they're not going to try and make him an outfielder at this point, which is, you know, you can't be said for, uh, you know, other guys, uh, uh, especially like Richie Palacios, who came up as an infielder and now he's playing in the outfield. Uh, yeah, it's been, it was exciting to sort of see your reports and your stories from uh, spring uh, from minor league camp where, you know, it's not really a full spring training. It's not like they're out there playing games in, in Goodyear ballpark where you're, you're watching games on a backfield and, you know, sitting in the stands there. Uh, just what was the, the feel now that you're back after, after having taken in all of the, uh, the action from minor league camp? Yeah, it was cool, Joe. It was, you know, the thing that it struck me is these guys are so, you know, the, the people we talked to guys like free, well, Freeman wasn't in camp, but Xavier Curry and, and Angel Martinez and Will Brennan and uh, Logan Allen. Uh, these guys were so, uh, they were so enthusiastic about being in camp and uh, just in, in telling their stories, you know, it was, they were still, it was still new to them. You know, they hadn't been kind of ground down by that, uh, the major league, getting to the major leagues and talking about themselves day in and day out. And uh, they they really had a lot to say. It was fun. It was fun to talk to them. Uh, uh, Angel, uh, Angel Martinez uh, did his whole interview in his, in, um, in English. And, mm-hmm. you know, after he got done, he was really excited that he had done it. You know, he answered all the questions that was, his, he said it was his first interview he'd ever done. And, uh, you know, uh, Anna Bolton was there mm-hmm. you know, just to make sure that he didn't get stuck on any of the questions, but he handled everything, you know, great. And so you see that, you know, it's really, you, you get kind of caught up in that enthusiasm. Well, well, just hearing that I'm, I'm excited for Anna. That's like, you know, she's got to feel like a, you know, a proud, a, a proud teacher or something like that. That that's her whole thing is, is getting the, the young prospects from the, the Dominican uh, uh, facility, you know, up to speed so that they can do their, their interviews in, in English. And that's, uh, that's amazing to hear that, that she's being successful and, and, you know, 
one of her graduates is is now you know giving full interviews in English. That's exciting. I, it's exciting for for reporters who don't uh, you know don't know a lot, only know un poco uh, Spanish. Yeah, right. <laughs> it, it, it helps out uh, tremendously. But uh, you know that's that's great to hear. Uh, anybody else? Any other prospects that you you talked to or met uh, really jump out at you? Uh, in terms of their stories or just their personalities, and you just can't wait to see them at the big league level? Yeah, Doug uh, uh, Nikhazy, uh the number two pick uh, from uh, last year out of Ole Miss, a left-hander, and a, just a great kid, just a fun kid to talk to. And, uh, you know, we had a great junior year, uh, you know, a, in college and when they drafted him. And uh, kind of, a, you know, one of the pitching coaches was saying, He's left-handed, and I and he goes, he's left-handed, and I mean, he's really left-handed. So <laughs> he was he was having some fun with that, and uh, but you know, he kind of you know jumped out of me. We saw him pitch, we saw him uh, you know throw a couple innings, and uh, you know, a Gavin Williams, the number one pick, mm -hmm. you know, just a big big guy. We didn't talk to him, but he looked apart as he comes out on the field as a, as a number one pick last year. And, uh, you know, we talked to, you said, you said Williams, you said Williams was throwing hundred miles an hour. Yeah. It's hundred miles an hour. You know, he's like six, six, you know, two forty, And, uh, uh, just, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the new, uh, pitching coordinator, uh, uh, Markham, uh, Mangrum, uh, said, um, uh, you know, this guy gets, he can, he gets, he, he throws the easiest 98 to hundred that he's ever seen, you know, just, you know, effortless and uh, for a kid his age, which is, I think he's about 22, 23 years old. Oh, that's great. That's good to hear. All right. Uh, we will wrap up today's podcast and, and be back again uh, with another edition tomorrow. Hopefully we have uh, an agreement to talk about, Hoinsey. Uh, we'll talk to you then. All right, Joe.